When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Welcome to another Friday Q&A edition of Talking Real Money. Now that Retire Meet is behind us, we're back to uh, at least something resembling normal for a while. Although it's summer, and this summer I plan on taking some vacations, so (laughs) the schedule could get a little nuts. But, you know, that's life. Thank you all for being a part of this podcast, for sharing it with your friends, for uh, leaving the nice reviews, not not the mean ones, and uh, for allowing us to help you lead a better financial life here on Talking Real Money. Remember, you can put questions to us a, a number of ways. You can call us at 855-935-TALK. And the best way to do that is to call us on Saturdays where we can actually have a conversation when we do our radio show. That's 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific every Saturday, 855-935-TALK. You can also send your questions in. You can type them, which is okay, or you can speak them at TalkingRealMoney.com. And a lot of you are getting used to speaking them. As a matter of fact, today's entire program are questions that were recorded by you at TalkingRealMoney.com, and they sound better than phone calls. So thanks for doing that. Remember our phone number again, 855-935-TALK, our website, TalkingRealMoney.com, and there's no better time to start than, well, right now. Hi, guys. My brother just passed away this past Easter from Lou Gehrig's uh, disease, ALS, uh, I'm the trustee of his state, which currently is valued at $2.3 million in a self-directed IRA account and 200 in a Roth. My brother, who never married, wanted to make sure the distribution was to all of his relatives, and the final distribution will include 17 people, of which 10 are minors. Lawyers say it will take about six to eight months to complete this distribution. My question as trustee is to protect the assets value as best as I can for the next two quarters with all the potential rate hikes and talk of recession. Questions I have for you. What would you recommend I do as trustee with the current mix in my brother's portfolio to reduce market risk? He has 300000 in individual stocks, Microsoft, Johnson & Johnson, and Amazon. The other $2 million is in three Vanguard accounts, S&P 500, Total Stock Market, and Wellington Fund. One thought right now as a trustee is just to turn everything to cash until the distribution can be completed. Your thoughts to help me uh, be a good fiduciary for the beneficiaries over the next two quarters. Thank oh, you. I'm so sorry to hear about your brother's passing. I know how difficult that can be. Uh, as for uh, your role as executor, it's a tough role. You got a lot to do, but most of the custodians out there make it pretty easy to do so. 
As for the assets themselves, well, in my opinion, and I'm not a lawyer, but in my opinion, the estate, your brother has passed that point where his asset allocation no longer matters. This asset allocation was right for him, but not necessarily right for anyone else. And the distribution of this in kind could be very, very difficult. And one of the nice things about doing it with IRAs and Roth IRAs is that you don't have to worry about that stepped-up cost basis business that you would have to worry about if the money was in uh, after-tax accounts. So that makes your job a little bit easier. And I I got to tell you, what I would do if I was faced with this, because I know every, it's going to be a whole host of different people getting it who all have different opinions and different guidance and different ideas what needs to be done with the money. Capital gains step up doesn't matter anymore. I would liquidate everything. I would put it all, all in money market. Because within a month or two, you said you're going to have it done. So I, I don't, you might miss out on a little bit, but that's not the point. The point now is to get it as simply and sanely as possible to the heirs. And the easiest way to do that is going to be for you to split these IRAs up, and the custodian can help you do that, to split them up and give the IRAs, because there are tax advantages to inheriting an IRA as opposed to cash. You can, uh, you can extend the period over which you take it out up to 10 years. That means that there aren't big tax liabilities right off the bat. Um, so I, this is what I, that's, that's what I would do. Again, consult with the attorney handling it just to make sure there aren't some legal issues that we're unaware of. But I would liquidate everything, put it all into cash, and make that process a whole lot easier. Thanks for calling and asking the question and taking care of your brother's needs. Now let's go to the next one. Hi, Tom and Don. This is John, and I'm calling about my sister who is going to be retiring from the post office in a couple of years. And she recently went to a seminar that was put on by the Postal Benefits Group, which I hadn't heard of until a couple of years ago. I went to the same seminar with her, and it seemed like they were talking about, well, they weren't really talking about it, but somebody asked them if this is involving an annuity, and they said it could be. Do you know anything about this company, if they're legit or if they are even just an insurance company or if they would be a fiduciary? Because I don't think they would be. Appreciate your comments. Thanks, guys. Bye. Postal Benefits Group. It's just a fancy name for yet another insurance company. And they do these seminars to do one thing and one thing only, promote the sale of insurance products. That's why they do them. No, they cannot possibly be an investment fiduciary. Not possible. Insurance agents are not fiduciaries. They are not required to act in the client's best interest. They are not regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They are merely regulated by a host of state regulators who really don't care a lot about what they say. And are they likely to sell an annuity? Yeah. They also sell other insurance policies to the attendees of these workshops. Would I buy a thing from them without checking with a true fiduciary? Absolutely not. No, do not have a one-on-one -on -one consultation with them. That is when you will get the hard sell. Do not have one of those.
uh, and I can relatively confidently say you're going to get a hard sell. And yes, if they sell you an investment and if they give you an opportunity to move your government retirement account to their company, oh, definitely, definitely run away. There is no, no place for annuities and retirement plans. None. Zero. Sorry, insurance agents, but it's the big lie. They serve no useful purpose in a retirement vehicle. And if you want to argue that with me, you have that opportunity. We take your calls at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. We can even do it live on Saturdays if you want. If you want to try to show us how insurance products in an investment account, in a retirement account, are superior or provide some sort of great benefit, you are welcome to knock yourself out. But I think you're going to fail. 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. On to the next call. Hello, Don and Tom. This is Daryl from South Carolina. I have a question about my daughter's 529 allocation. We are invested in our state's 529 plan for the tax deductions and have been happy with the plan in general. I manually allocate inside our 529s. My daughter is going to be a sophomore in college next year, and I have about 25% in equities, which I'm fine with from a risk perspective. My question is about the other 75%, which is in fixed income options. The plan has two bank account options, an ultra short-term bond fund, a short-term bond fund, a tips bond fund, and a general bond fund. I currently have about 40% of the fixed income assets in the tips bond fund, but that is down about 70% this year, which emotionally hurts since I did this as an inflation hedge. The remaining amount I have in the two bank account funds. Should I have all of the fixed income assets in the two bank account funds, which return nearly zero? I also have a 10th grader, so I'm scaling down his equity allocation each year as he approaches college. But again, I have a portion of his fixed income in tips. Can you give some basic thoughts on how you would handle the fixed income portion of the 529s as you enter or are in college in the current market? Oh, you've discovered the mess that is Treasury Inflation Protected Securities tips. Not to be confused with I-bonds, which are different. Uh, Because tips are long-term government bonds that are subject to a relatively complex formula to determine what the current yields might be. But that's also an auction-based market for the new ones. And because they're long-term securities and you have them in a fund of some type, their value fluctuates depending on the feelings of the marketplace and what it thinks might be coming down the road. Therefore, tips have proven to be very volatile securities. As a matter of fact, we've backed way away from tips, way away from them, uh, just because their volatility is unreasonable. And, you know, it's something you, you, you learn. You have to study these markets to determine how good or bad they might be uh i would be really really tempted to only keep the portion that you need for the next tuition payment and other costs in the the uh bank rate or zero rate products that are available there otherwise i would probably mix it between the ultra short-term bonds, which have a little bit of a yield, and the short-term bonds, which have a little bit more of a yield, um, and the, the the equities you already have 
for those longer term. And I, by longer term, I mean a year, 18 months so or so needs. Uh, yeah, I'd get out of the tips, though. I, I really would. I wouldn't have any tips in this portfolio. They've been, they've been more volatile. They've been more volatile than treasuries. And their yield hasn't been as good as treasuries, even in a high inflation environment. Also, they're based on uh, the CPI, the, so which can be a, a lower rate than the actual rate of inflation. So I'd be really tempted to have some predictability, a little bit greater predictability with ultra short short term and then the bank rate things for the more immediate needs thank you for your call and your question and let's move on to another one that came in through talkingrealmoney.com and was recorded in the actual person's voice amazing hi don and tom love the show an advisor from fidelity was trying to get me to start an sma account or a separately managed account uh he says it will help me harvest tax losses he says it'll charge me 0.4% 0.4% a year to do it. it. Do you know anything about these SMA accounts? Is it something worth looking at? Well, a separately managed account is a lot like an investment advisory account where it's managed based on certain things that you're looking for, like uh, a tax-managed investing or more income or greater capital appreciation or whatever it might be. They tend to be, though, uh, less specific and therefore often a little bit cheaper. And that's a pretty inexpensive fee for an SMA. The problem is I don't see a Fidelity SMA account that I touch with a 10-foot pole. Unless, are you a billionaire? And I know you can't answer that because you called the question in. I don't think that people who have hundreds of thousands or even a couple of million to invest should use either one of their tax-managed equity funds there's one that's u.s and one that's international because they use direct indexing that it means you're going to have you you are bound to have a far more limited portfolio than you would have by just building your own Uh, in this case it's not going to be all that diversified the u.s one is uh, basically the s&p 500 when you're direct indexing into the s&p 500 and you're paying 30 basis points for that. Well, you can get the S&P 500 for less than 10 basis points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might get some hack, uh, some tax loss harvesting from it. But is your goal tax losses or tax or, or gains down the road? You don't harvest a lot of tax losses in most portfolios because the whole idea is to make money and the markets tend to make money over time during markets like this it's a it's a good sell it's an easy sell oh you need that tax loss harvesting look at all the tax losses you would have had but in most years you can have many tax losses probably not um i i don't i don't even see a big benefit for larger investors though actually because what they've done is they just kind of created their own mutual fund for U.S. and international investing, but they're only dealing with the larger company stocks. So I would just say no. They have some they have some other strategies that are active management. I would definitely say no to those. I'd probably just say no to this, though, and go for a total market. They have two great total market index funds. And I would imagine over time the tax loss harvesting, because remember, it only gets you a deduction. It's not like a credit. But the tax loss harvesting is going to be less beneficial over time than the more than 20 basis point reduction in fees over the lifetime of the account. 
Thanks for your question, your call. I appreciate it. And here's yet another. Hi, Tom and Don. This is Karen. Um, I've called before and love your show. And thank you so much for answering my questions. This time, my question is regarding tax loss harvesting. I understand that you can take up to uh, $3,000 a year tax loss and carry it over. And I'm wondering, is that $3,000, can you like let that accumulate if you don't have um, capital gains and you don't want to use it against your income? Could you potentially kind of like let that build? And is there a time where, you know, you have to use that capital loss by? Um, Because I I think at some point when I sell my house, um, I will have a very big capital gain. And I'm just wondering, you know, is it possible to accumulate that capital loss, that $3,000, and then in one year, kind of use it all at once? Um, I was trying to find that answer online, but couldn't figure that out at all. Uh, So I would appreciate any information you have on on tax loss harvesting and any insight you you can provide. Thank you so much and have a good day. Apparently. Karen was trying to kill a bug while she was asking the question. Then it's like she was like, bam, I'm going to kill that bam bug. Uh, Karen, 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 Karen. Um, we all hate paying taxes. We do. And capital gains seems to bother us more than anything else. But you have to remember, the capital gains rate is probably lower than your income rate. So it may be counterproductive if you have a tax loss to not take that $3,000 offset against ordinary income, particularly if you make good money. You may very well be in a higher bracket, plus the bird in the hand thing is uh, you know, something to consider. I know you're looking down the road. Good news is if your tax loss, you can, you can extend your tax loss indefinitely and use it to offset capital gains. But I would still take the 3000 against ordinary income and leave the rest to accrue against capital gains. But a, a tax loss can just go forward until you decide to use it. But I would use some of it sooner than later. Thanks for the call, Karen, and I hope that bug is squashed. I'm sure it is by now. Okay, let's see. What do we have left? Oh, I still think let's we have a do we have a couple of calls left? Let me look at my list. Yes, we do. And here is our next one. Hi, Tom and Don. Uh, this is Joe Smo, nobody. Uh, been listening to your show for a while and Paul Merriman. Um, one of your callers um, had a question about allocation percentages and uh, there was some profound information and to me it was such a light bulb kind of went off. Uh, Don was about ready to make it kind of sound difficult, I think. And then, bam, Tom steps in and says, hey, that's that's easy. You do 50% U.S., 50% international. Of the 50% U.S., you take 50% of that, put it in large. 50% goes into small. And then of that, 50% of that large goes into value. And 50% of the small goes into value. And you end up, I did the calculations, and you end up with four funds at 12.5%. And he said, you peel off 10%, and that goes into REITs. And I was like, wow, that sounds so familiar. And uh, it's actually the same portfolio, uh, the ultimate buy and hold portfolio of, of Paul Merriman recommends. Um, 
And then with the internationals, you know, you're the same except for instead of REIT, you're peeling off 10% for emerging markets. Uh, I was like, wow, that's so that's such great information. Uh, and then Paul Merriman also recommended for his your 60-40, if you're whatever bond allocations you want, 50% of the bond fund should be in intermediate treasury, 30% should be in short-term treasury, and 20% should be in uh, tips. Um, wow, it was such it seems so profound to me, and it was just kind of a quick little hey, here it is. Uh, and then uh, I'd like to say a little bit about the stock market. Hey, I'm still got 12 years. Uh, all the Monte Carlo sims I run, I always end up with more money with the with the stock market crash in over uh, in five years. Uh, so hey, I'm voting for the stock market to crash. I'm buying low, you know, buy and hold, buy low every month. Hey, great show, thank you. Uh, some of your listeners are learning stuff. Take care. <laughs> Sometimes you learn stuff. Uh, uh, okay, yes, I, I'm I'm like you. I I root for it to go down, particularly if I have a windfall of money coming in. I was like, oh, please go down a lot. I'd rather buy low. I I don't want to buy while after it has been rising for a while. I want to buy, but I buy all times. So you know, I don't try to time it. And yes, occasionally, Tom. Yes, he can be profound. However, it's. No incredible coincidence that Tom sounds almost exactly like Paul Merriman. You see, for many years, Tom was Paul's minion. He he really was. He was he was here. Tom, do this stuff. Uh, Tom learned at the knee of the master, and so he presents the same wisdom. What I was trying to explain, I, I remember the call and uh, the Paul Merriman approach, that splitting of the portfolio into these disparate pieces, is great for somebody who doesn't mind doing the work. And that's what I mean about complicated. You build a portfolio like that. One, it takes some time to build it, but Tom explained it really well. But the other factor is that that adds complexity is that now you've got to develop the discipline to not move, and you've got that discipline, but others don't, and to regularly rebalance those positions, which almost always means buying something you really don't feel like you want to buy because it has been going down and selling something that you just love because it's been making you a lot of money. That's a very, very painful thing for people to do. But yes, Tom does occasionally have these incredible spurts of wisdom. Thanks for your call. Now let's get to the last one for this Friday, shall we? Hey, Tom and Don. It's Mike from Colorado calling. I just had a question, and maybe, Don, you'll appreciate this. It's on I-bonds, and I know you're getting a lot of questions on I-bonds, but mine has to do with their going to their website, which I feel like I'm in a black-and-white Dr. Strangelove movie Every time I go to this site, it's ridiculous. Um, definitely going back in time and familiarity of going to the DMV, which I never liked. But my question is, I've purchased I-bonds as far back as June 1st of 21 and July 1st of 21. And I understand the fixed rate stays the same throughout that uh, period, but the inflation rate is uh, 
adjusted semi-annually, and the, the new rate of 9.62 was uh, put in at, uh, just this past May. Uh, when I'm looking at both of those bonds purchased almost a year ago, it still shows the 7.12% rate. So my question is, am I navigating the site correctly? Wouldn't the rate be updated on this, uh, this website, or uh, is there another way to get to it? Or is there something wrong? <laughs> so that that's what I'm trying to get at is why it's not reflecting the new inflation rate of 9.62 for those older bonds. Thanks. You guys have a great day. Appreciate it. Oh, I agree with you about the website. <laughs> that front page, it looks like the old Yahoo or something. It's got like lists of links. Oh, the more links we have, the better this page is going to be. Yeah, um, there's... There are better ways to make a website these days. And they're rebuilding it, but it's the government. It could uh, The rebuild will probably look like a 2021 website, and it'll be ready in 2024. Uh, but your question, mm, it's not time for your rate to change yet. That's the problem. Your rate doesn't change on May 1st. Your rate won't change. Let's say, for example, you bought it June 1st, as you said, June 1st, 2021. Your rate changes every June 1st and December 1st. So your rate's not going to change until June 1st. That's probably why you see that old rate. I don't know for how long they keep the old rate on their old website, but your rate should actually switch whether it reflects it or not on the website, on June 1 and then again on December 1. So it depends on when you bought the bond. For example, if you bought one in June of 2021 and then you bought another one on January of 2022, your January of 2022 is not going to adjust until July 1 of 2022, every January and every July. hope that answers your question. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for all the great questions. Thanks for going to TalkingRealMoney.com and getting them. All kinds of great information lives almost forever for you at TalkingRealMoney.com. Our risk quiz, information on how to hire a fiduciary advisor, all of the shows, the video casts, tons and tons of stuff. Plus, if you need the help of an advisor, you need somebody to help you just a little, look something over before you do something dumb or look at your portfolio to see what might be wrong with it. We make our advisors, our 100% fiduciary advisors, no commissions ever, available to you anytime for free, well, almost anytime for free, for a period of time, not to exceed an hour, please. Um, and it's free. So just go to vestory.com. Our company is Vestory by Appella, vestory.com. And scroll down to the bottom of the page, set up an appointment. They'll help you, I promise. And they won't try to sell you anything. You won't get a high-pressure sales pitch like those insurance people. We're different. Thanks for being there. Take care. Spread the word. Tell everybody you know. Put us on your social media feed. Uh, leave a nice review because somebody got grumpy about the technical quality of a call and gave us one star because we had a guy whose computer was, cla uh, was crackling. Tried to take it out, but it wouldn't all come out. So um, we apologize for that. If you like what we do, leave a review at Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify. 
Take care of yourselves. Call us to, uh, on, a, on a Saturday. I was going to say tomorrow because I record this on Friday. Uh, call us every Saturday from 3 to 5 Eastern at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, and we can have an actual conversation about money. I'm Don, talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. As you keep the lawyers happy.